we realized that um, some of our lowest level of users, um, as far as permissions, were not as happy using the product. Um, and we were like, at first we were like, oh, okay, well, it's the super admins that, you know, the highest level that's making the decisions, but not necessarily because if there's one super admin and 20 people who are on the lowest level, and those 20 people are griping about the product every day, then it's potentially going to sway, you know, the next annual renewal for that product. Hey y'all, I'm Chase Clemens. Welcome back to the Support Apps Hangout. This is a show that helps you deliver a better support experience to your customers. Now, our regular crew has the week off, so in their place, we've got two fantastic guests. Dare I say better? Maybe. Possibly. We'll know by the end of the episode. Uh, you might have listened to the episode with Mercer a few weeks ago, and if you didn't, you really should go back and listen to it because it was fantastic. So, welcome back to the show, Mercer. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And our other guest works at Recruiter Box, as well as doing a fantastic job where we're support-driven, um, basically pretty much the mastermind behind Subconf in Atlanta, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Chelsea. Hi. It's great to be here. Now, for uh, folks that haven't heard about you or uh, Recruiter Box or anything like that, can you kind of give us the, the rundown real quick of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Chelsea Stroh, and I manage the customer engagement team here at Recruiter Box. So we are um, reactive support and proactive success on my team. Um, and I've been with Recruiter Box for about three years and kind of in the SaaS startup world for about that amount of time, too. Um, and at Recruiter Box, we help people hire better, so help them manage the candidates that they're hiring for their team. Love it. See that nice yeah. little, like, quick pitch. <laughs> you got it down. <laughs> So this, uh, this show, so basically up to this point in the series, we've kind of talked about how onboarding works when it's a single person signing up to try your product. And, and that's kind of been like the golden path, for lack of a better phrase there, metaphor or whatever. Uh, now, for most of us in the B2B business, it's, it's often a group of people that need to both try your product and decide if they're going to buy. So it's a little bit different when you go from one person to a group of people. So we're going to look at how that shift from a person to a group kind of changes the onboarding process. Uh, Mercer, the last time we left you at, at the last episode, you were, Trello was kind of in the midst of making some changes and figuring these kind of things out. I, although I say that, I feel like all of us are continually like testing, tweaking, and changing to, to kind of get that process better. With Trello, what's that, what's that, approach look like? What what changes in your approach when you go from kind of Trello for a freelancer, Trello for a single person, um, solo business kind of thing into now we've got to sell Trello and onboarded group? Yeah. So actually one of, you know, Trello's like biggest features is the ability to use Teams. Um, and in order to use business class, which opens up a whole slew of features, you need to use a team, whether that be as a single user or as a group of users. So that adds a lot of nuance into the onboarding process here because the same, the same onboarding that we use to onboard people to uh, groups as uh, teams as a group, uh, we also use for individuals uh, onboarding to a team. Um, so that's something we're actually working to uh, clarify a little bit now, um, just because obviously someone who is signing up for a one-man team or one-person team, I suppose, and a multi-person team need to do the same stuff, but um, ideally they should have some kind of differentiation between the two. So 
when we spoke last time, we were working on sending out these proactive emails based on actions that people took in the app. Um, and the second iteration of that is knowing more information about their team. Um, so the structure of the team, whether it's one, one person, multiple people, um, and adding a little bit more information based on that. I love that. How are you getting that information? Just going to survey maybe? Um, no. So we're able to get that information about the team. So the team, like once they've actually signed up, I mean, mm -hmm. so like if they have multiple people in their domain or on their team, we're going to custom customize the information in the email that we send to them. Got it. Love it. Basically magical unicorns on the back. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like really awesome engineers and redshift. One, one of the two. I'm not, I'm not sure which. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Chelsea with the recruiter box, you know, sometimes you, you have one person that's, that's doing the hiring. A lot of times I know like with us, with our team, it's several people involved whenever we hire on a new customer support pro at Basecamp. So um, what, how, how does that kind of change your approach with, with something like hiring? Yeah, I would say that there are probably very, very few accounts in recruiter box that have only one user. Um, pretty much every team uses more than one person when they're hiring. Um, so luckily, RecruiterBox kind of naturally leads itself to more people adding themselves into the process as you get to the next step in the process and you say, oh, you know, now Chase needs to be involved because we want him to interview or um, now, you know, Susie needs to be involved because she's going to, you know, bring the person in for an in-person interview. So as they kind of progress through their first candidate, I feel like they naturally learn everyone who needs to be involved in the process we could potentially probably do a better job at onboarding those people as they're all added into the process. Um, but as far as getting them into the system, they mm -hmm. definitely kind of naturally fall in as the processes unfold in the hiring steps. Yeah. And for the record, Chase should never interview. He's just really <laughs> bad at it with new hires. There are way more qualified people on our team for, uh, for that kind of thing. Um, so is that kind of with recruiter box, how it, it, typically just kind of falls out. You've got the one person that signs up. They're like, yes, this is the product we're going to use to track this. I've made the decision. We're in it. And now I'm going to start adding more people in. Yeah, I think that most of the time it's probably someone who's in charge of hiring at some point. Maybe they're, um, you know, sometimes it's a super small startup and it's a CEO who's hiring. Other times it's the head of HR at a larger company. And that person usually ends up connecting with our sales department and figuring out that the product works for them. And then usually ends up, you know, signing a contract and saying, we're going to be going forward with this product. At that point, we then turn everything over to our success team who has an onboarding plan um, for, for the team um, as they start adding themselves on. So there's different calls that we take um, as far as like an initial call to figure out what the hiring needs are, um, and then a call with more of the administrators of the account. And then we usually have another training with the people who are going to be more like reviewers or interviewers in the process. Um, so as they work their way through our success program, they naturally get that education and training. Um, but most of the time that's actually post-sale for us because someone makes the decision and then we add the team members as we do the training um, after the contract is signed. And just so I'm trying to paint like a mental picture in my head, how many, I guess there's two things I'm, I'm curious about right now, like how many people on your success team and how many customers are each of those people working with on like say an average week? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's currently one person on our success team um, and he is working um, I think he has currently 29 accounts in his purview, but um, a, 
those aren't obviously all doing the same step at the same time. They're in different steps of the process. Um, the success team is something that we've been revamping for a while and we're definitely looking to grow it. Um, but right now it's just one person kind of managing that. Um, and then I kind of am his backup as well, as far as, you know, if he, a customer falls out of his time zone or um, we need some more help with that. See, I love the, like the one person kind of stage at this because they're the ones like that are figuring out the process that are figuring out the steps and all that. So is that's kind of, is that what's happening right now? Like you and him are both figuring out like, all right, for this customer over here, we need to do A, B, and C. But if it's a different customer like this one over here, we might need to do like X, Y, and Z. Yeah, so we kind of have this basic structure that we've just really developed in the past couple months. The success program has been around for a while and we've revamped it a few times and we're kind of finally on a path where it's working pretty well. Um, So we've got like this outline structure and most people fit into that. But then when someone sort of doesn't, we take a second and say, okay, you know, can they take a different path um, on the algorithm over here? Um, Or maybe it's an existing customer who's been with us for a long time and isn't using some of our newer features can we kind of re-onboard them using this process or using a varied process? Um, and so that's helped us to kind of reconnect with some of those older customers as well. So that works great when you've like, you've made the sale, success is happening now. Mercer for Trello, for Basecamp, we've got to kind of like prove ourselves before we can get to that point. Like we've got the, the trials and things like that. Uh, and then people buy in. So I know for us, at least at Basecamp, it's a little tricky. Um, we... So one of the things we, we encourage folks to do when they set up a new account with us is to invite just one more person and just one coworker that, that might work with you on a project or something. And that tends to um, make the onboard, onboarding a little bit more mm, uh, cohesive is not the right word, like less nuance, kind of like you were talking about the one person team, like they don't have that kind of weirdness at that point. Um, so with Trello, you know, you're bringing in groups. I'm really curious what happens when you've got like two different groups that work for the same company that are both trying Trello? Like, is there, uh, and this is one of those where it's like, so so like at base camp, it's kind of like, ah, sorry. Like there's, you're just like, you can like manually copy stuff over. There's no way to like bring stuff over. It's just, it gets weird. So I'm just curious, like how Trello handles like that situation, like, you know, accounting signs up, marketing signs up and it's both the same company. Yeah. So that's fun when that happens. Um, we don't, (laughs) we don't have a way of, um, like noticing for a company, um, unless they've signed up for enterprise already, or they're in the process of signing up for enterprise or business class. We don't have a way of pulling, like, these are all these people with the email at this domain. Um, that being said, say your marketing team signs up and then your, sales team signs up and you each have separate teams. Um, Because you can move boards between teams, it's pretty easy to shift stuff around. So if marketing and sales decide they want to band together and get business class for for everyone, um, you can just reassociate the boards. That being said, that's one of the major confusions that people run into is like team structure versus individual structure versus if I sign up for business class, how do I do XYZ thing? Doesn't it apply to all of my boards? Um, And so that's something that we're definitely looking to clarify. And that's something that we've added into these proactive emails um, just to try to like nip it in the bud before people email in either upset 
because they didn't necessarily know that they had to get BC for e- business class for each team or um, upset because someone on the co- in the company is already paying for it. But like, uh, like Chelsea, um, we are in the process of rolling out uh, like a white glove support team right now um, and thinking about what that looks like. So that the proactive email was the, the first step into kind of trying to find these use cases um, where there's a lot of pain specifically for like business class and enterprise level users um, and trying to address it before they even, even, even sign up or even get to it. Do you happen to like recall any of the language in the email as far as like, is it just like, Hey, we know this, like that you set up an account. It looks to be kind of businessy. Like you might want to invite other people in. Yeah. So if they've been, um, I'm not exactly sure what the trigger is. I think it's something like if they've been using business class on their own for two weeks, um, we can reach out and say like, Hey, business class is a useful way to collaborate with team members. Um, or, or teams rather. Um, but a lot of it, the language is, Hey, we've noticed that you've been using X for X amount of time without a team member. Business class features are designed to be used as a team. Um, it talks a lot about Trello's whole motto is gain perspective. Um, and so we talk about how business class is, specifically useful for gaining perspective across what your company is doing. Um, but then we also have to be careful because we have the other email, which goes the separate way, which is for individuals and how it can be also be useful for individuals because people can get really surprisingly sensitive about the fact that you have to use business class with a team. And they're like, I'm not a team. I'm one person. Why do I have to have a team? Um, so I think like getting the nuance of both of those emails has also been really tricky. It's, it's nuance. It's, and there's no other word for it other than tricky because you have to, man, I remember sitting down one time and trying to like flow chart out some of the stuff and it just is insane how many different paths just split off at the most seemingly innocuous points. Someone like, you know, like you were mentioning, like someone seeing themselves not as a team and then all of a sudden it's, it's a big deal when for us it's like, is it really that big a deal? Eh." Right. And it's so funny because everyone's like, oh, Trello is such like an easy to use program. Like it's, it's such, it's like so simple. There's really like nothing uh, super nuanced about it. I'm like, really? Tell me <laughs> more about that. I'm like, I would love to hear that um, because it is, you know, it's, it's really interesting how people like will even like shoehorn themselves into a certain box, even if they don't necessarily need to fit there. So that's something the language question is really interesting because that's something that we have to be extra cognizant of um, in terms of onboarding um, for teams in general, whether it be individuals moving onto a team or, or groups moving onto a team. Yeah. I think one of the other things that we've done at Basecamp, so, uh, you know, um, you're, I don't know, um, Jane over in accounting decides to go sign up and then she tells other people in the accounting team, like, Hey, we have a Basecamp account go and sign up, like go to Basecamp and, and log in. And then all of a sudden everybody has their own little trials going on. And so you're like, what is going on? One of the, the things that we've done is when you go to sign up for a new account, if we see like your email is on another account, we'll, we'll basically be like, hey, wait, hold up. Are you trying to set up your own separate new account or are you trying to log into this one down here? And that's one of those that was really great in kind of like cutting down on, on some of that confusion. That said, if they didn't use the same email address, you're like, hmm, like now what? 
Yeah. Yeah. We do do that for um, like enterprise level customers. So if someone reaches in or reaches out with like a uh, Mercer's awesome company.com email address, and we already have Mercer's awesome company.com signed up, we will say like, Hey, there's an enterprise associated with this. Um, same thing if they already have an account with that email address and then the company like retroactively signs up. Um, we give them the opportunity to split their personal boards from their this business account and then they're part of the enterprise and they have to make a separate account for their personal boards. See, I was doing show prep last week and I was like, I've seen this somewhere. I've experienced this somewhere and cannot remember. It was Trello. Mm. Nice. So Chelsea, the, uh, one of the other things that I think all of our products kind of have in common is, you know, you've got one person that is, is usually going in, um, and testing out the app and then they have to convince everybody else, right? They have to convince other people that this is the right way to go, that the money that we're spending is, is going to be put to good use. So how, you know, when, when that first person comes in and starts using recruiter box, how is your team, um, like helping them to make the argument to their team? that they should be using this? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, most people start out with a 14-day trial of the account. Um, During that time, we try and get them on a demo with our sales team. Um, Luckily, our product is fairly easy to maneuver around, but if people already have like these set workflows, like they've always done hiring this way or they're using this particular system already, sometimes it helps if our sales team can kind of translate, well, this is what it's going to look like in Recruiter Box and kind of show them how those processes work for them. During that, we also try and get them to go ahead and at least set up like a mock opening and some mock candidates, which then they're going to start moving through their processes. Um, And we have them start building out what their hiring workflow looks like. And that's all the different steps of the hiring process, like an in-person interview and a phone interview and, you know, reference checks and all that stuff. And when they start doing that, that's when they start including their their coworkers. Um, and a lot of times then once we can get them all in the product, then they're able to see exactly how valuable it is. Um, I think that money spot is kind of for people who haven't really used a system at all before and they get in and they're like, Oh, it's all, it's all here and it all makes sense. But even for people who have used some more complicated applicant tracking systems, when they see recruiter box, it, it just kind of works for them. Um, and so if we can just get their eyes on it, I think that's the easiest way for us. So we highly encourage them to invite as many friends as possible to come play along um, during that trial period. And then sometimes they even end up giving some group demos, you know, if it's a whole team that maybe manages the hiring. Um, but a lot of times we have one point of contact and then they're adding their other coworkers as they go through the trial period. I love that. And it's one like you, you're kind of, so I remember back at my previous job when we did hiring, it was literally post-it notes on the wall. And then somebody came in and was like, Hey, here's, it wasn't recruiter box. Sadly, it was some other app that was ended up being like horribly over-designed and everything. But at the time, anything is better than post-it notes on the wall. Right. Yes. So totally. we get a lot of people who are at that stage and or they're using spreadsheets or email to manage it. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. Let's, let's make this a hundred times easier in 10 minutes. Come on, come on. We can help. So um, I think that if we can just show them um, and just get, get everyone working in there together um, and set those processes up well in the beginning, which is part of why even post-sale that success process is so important because if we can get everything working well, 
the first time, then they're going to replicate those. There's a lot of copy features going forward. And so if they can set it up first, right the first time, then they can copy it right going forward. And we know that they're using all the features and have a well-rounded account at that point. Um, so, yeah. So what about Trello? I mean, so same question over to you, Mercer. What, like, what kind of things are you doing to kind of help that person sell Trello to the rest of the team? Um, well, <laughs> it's perfectly okay to be like, eh, nothing. Yeah. We don't have anything like that right now, which is kind of, so that's like, I think one of the biggest opportunities for our team is to have something like that. Um, which is why it's one of our focuses for the next year. We have three focuses and that's like one major one that we're devoting a lot of energy and effort into. Um, is to figuring out like how we can make it easier for people to get the information that they need and to um, kind of feel like they're being treated a little bit better, I guess, if they're looking into that um, experience. Because we don't even offer trials at this point. Like there's no way to get a trial for business class. Um, there's no way to get a trial for enterprise. Um, and I think also a lot of that is because we offer the full feature set for free users. So there isn't really much differentiation in the product until you get up to enterprise and you get like SSO login and all that, all that stuff. Um, but that's, yeah, that's something that we are actively thinking about right now. Um, so I'm just like leeching everything from Chelsea's mind. I'm going to steal it and, and implement it once we get down that to that road. Yeah. I know for us, it's, it's always, it's tricky because people come to Basecamp for different reasons. Um, it, it's, so we've, I've talked about it a little bit on the show before, but there's basically like four big jobs that people are hiring Basecamp to do. And we're still in the process. Like we know what those four are, but we're still in the process of bringing that information all the way down from like, we've started with a marketing site and kind of using that, those jobs to, to influence it. Now it's working its way down into onboarding it's working its way down into support materials it's working down its way into like videos and all that kind of thing um i think that's one of the the things that we're going to tackle next is you know there are some people that just have to get other people to buy in uh one of the things that we that i heard in a lot of our interviews was people saying look if if i put people in if i put my team in base camp and even one person says it's not working then we bail out and we find something else so we've got to figure out a way to kind of identify the people that are in that situation and then have a, have good materials to give them so that they're not left like trying to sell Basecamp on their own. And it's not as simple as like, Oh yeah, go to the marketing site. Like everything's there. Well, I mean it is, but you've got to, you've got to like package this up for somebody to say, we're going to use Basecamp for X, Y, and Z reasons. I need your buy-in on this. And then once I've got that, now we can pay and now we're good. Now we can, we can kind of keep going. So I think that's one of those weird kind of, again, it's nuance. Like all this comes back to nuance. I think you kind of pointed that out earlier. It's, it's the like over, like the overarching theme here. It's everybody's just a little bit different. So you have to find ways that get close enough without getting bogged down into all those, those nuanced little flowcharts from earlier. I think yeah. that's something that we um, face as well because all the workflows can be customized for people's hiring practices. So if someone says, you know, can you help me with a guide on how such and such type of user is going to use the system, that can be set up differently in every single person's account. So it's really difficult to say, just today I had someone, can you write me a guide for how my hiring 
hiring team that use the system, which is our lowest user level. They usually just leave feedback on interviews. And I, I said, of course, I can help you with that. But I need to understand a bit more about how your team is using that feature because everyone can set that up differently. Um, so sometimes I feel like we sort of have to push some of that back on the team. Like, here's a basic, but you're going to need to fill in the voids um, so that your team can understand the rest of it. But I totally understand, Chase, what you're saying about how, you know, even if there's one user who's unhappy, um, that it's difficult to sell it to everyone. And we have faced that recently with some of our, we realized that um, some of our lowest level of users, um, as far as permissions, were not as happy using the product. Um, and we were like, at first we were like, oh, okay, well, it's the super admins that, you know, the highest level that's making the decisions, but not necessarily because if there's one super admin and 20 people who are on the lowest level, and those 20 people are griping about the product every day, then it's potentially going to sway, you know, the next annual renewal for that product. So we've been trying to really focus in on all of the users' experience, but how can we change it for especially those lowest level of users who have a limited view of the product and perhaps maybe aren't getting the experience that we thought that they were getting um, with using the product. So it's interesting to think about how everyone sees the product and not just the decision makers sees it. Yeah, I remember. So one of the, the interviews we did was um, uh, a lady that owned basically like a rehab gym kind of thing. Like it's not gym, like I'm going to go work out every day gym. It was like, I'm doing rehab because I just got a, had a surgery last week or, or an injury or something like that. And they were talking about how the, the last system that they used, the majority of people liked it and were actively using it, but there were a couple of their therapists who just flat out refused. And at that point, now you've got patient information over an email, you've got patient information in this product and that product. And, and, it just kind of all starts falling apart and you've, you've bought this product to stop things from falling in the cracks and it's still happening. So of course, like you're going to like bail out and go find something else that works. It's surprising how like we, we do our onboarding and we think so much about like that one person, the, the account owner, the super admin or, or whatnot, but there's a lot of kind of collective decision-making that, that's happening on the, the lower levels. And you've got to make sure that that experience is just as solid as the, uh, the ones that signed up for the account originally. One thing that I think is also really interesting about this is like how quickly it can happen. So it can go from like knowing nothing about this customer having any problems to like all of a sudden they're leaving and it, it's like a huge issue. Um, and so I think that's, that's one of the reasons why, this, why onboarding and proactive support is so important. Just because when you have that, those constant check-ins or you have those points of contact, it makes it easier to uncover these problems before like it gets to be the breaking point. Um, whether that be for the super admin or for the person who is just there as like an observer even. Um, and you, it's important to have onboarding for all of those levels of users too. Um, and to try to make it as nuanced as you can um, because otherwise you're going to miss something and that could be what makes or breaks that user like using your product forever and ever and ever or leaving and going to Asana, for example. Or to Basecamp. Or to Basecamp. I, <laughs> I love Basecamp. Oh, <laughs> I send people to Trello all the time that, that are just- Yay, I think they're good for different things. I think you can-, yeah. you can... yeah, it's one of those, like you can you can tie some of this into your your own 
that check that you were talking about, where you need to know what kind of the rest of the team is thinking. That's something that the company wants to know, but it's also something that whoever signed up for the product wants to know too. So one of the features that Basecamp has is this idea of what we call automatic check-ins, which can go out on like a daily or weekly or monthly basis or whatnot. And one of the things that, so when I work with customers, I tell them like set up some kind of check-in that just asks people how things are going with using Basecamp. That way, if something is like just kind of starting off as a murmur, just kind of like, eh, this is kind of a weird thing, by having this regular check-in that asks that question, then the super admin or, or you know that top person will now know about that and they can check with our team and see if there's like a workaround, if there's something that could be changed, if it's a setting somewhere that's bothering somebody. Or, you know, this might be one of those things where it starts off as a murmur and then people are kind of like figuring it out, like, figuring out that this is really a big deal and we have to find an app that can do this thing that we're having a problem with. So again, it kind of helps. It's always kind of crappy to send a customer away, but if they find that out in the first week of the trial that, you know, Basecamp is not the right thing, they're going to move on to something else. Then at least they didn't waste more than a week in figuring this out. So uh, you can use some of the tools in your onboarding to kind of make checks like that, which is really cool. All right, that's the big stuff that I had. Anything that that we missed? Anything either one of you want to dig in a little bit more on? I just think it's never too early to start. You know what I mean? Like if you're a small hey, support man. team. Preach it. I, I just, like I know at Wistia, we did something like this pretty early on in the team. Um, and I... I do wish that we had continued to do this. We had like ideas to get this started like a year ago and we didn't necessarily think it was the most important then. And I wish that we had um, just because it's, um, it's really, really helpful uh, and impactful for your customers. So I can't say like, you should just go, go and do it as early as you can. If you're a one person team, just like get right in there and start and start doing this stuff. Cause it's makes a big difference for customer experience. I think for us, um, I think onboarding definitely happens when someone's new to your product, but something we've been learning recently is that continuous education um, because we have a lot of customers. Um, RecruiterBox has been around for a while now, but we still have some customers who are from when we very first started and the product has changed immensely since then. And so how do we basically re-onboard a lot of those people? And if we don't, we've found that sometimes they end up as attritions and the reasons they're leaving are a request for features that we actually have. And unfortunately, they just, we didn't do a good job communicating that they were there and educating them on that. So I think onboarding at the initial onset of a product is so important, but actually figuring out a way to onboard your your older as you, your product changes or as maybe the main person who was using the product leaves and a new super admin is added or a new person is going to be managing the product. I think that's something that we've really been suddenly realizing that we need to manage as well. Um, and it's actually an interesting problem and kind of a big challenge to manage. And one of those why your support team should just going to take on some of this stuff, you know, the year. So like, this is one of those things where when we first started the the series, um, I had a couple of uh, emails from, from folks that were like, this is not our domain. Like this is, this is marketing. This is sales. This is like that kind of thing. When in reality, like your support team, are, we're the people that are getting these questions anyways from new signups. So we're the people that are going to be able to see some of the patterns going on, see the confusion that's going on and offer out solutions for some of this. So uh, it doesn't matter if you're a one person team 
I guess, um, like we talked about earlier, or if you've got like 20 people on there, it's, it's your, your support team can have an impact. Um, one of the biggest places your support team can have an impact is through onboarding, making it better and working with marketing or, or designer, whoever else is, is working on that process too. All right, that's our take on this one. Let us know what you think. Hello at supportops.co is the email. We're at supportops on Twitter. Thanks again to both of you. Um, Mercer, this is round two. So I think you're the leading guest now. I don't know. Not many Amazing. People repeat. <laughs> uh, and Chelsea, thanks for, uh, for being on the show. You did fantastic for the first time. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. Awesome. We'll have, um, pl- uh, we'll have Twitter handles and websites and all the other stuff for, uh, so you can find both Mercer and Chelsea in the show notes, supportops.co. Thanks again for listening. And until we see you again, have an awesome week.